Uh, we've got the beautiful Renee Tanner here who's going to uh, read out our final scripture uh, for this series. So thank you, Renee. Genesis 22. So sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied. Here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I'll show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there and then we'll come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire in the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that truly you fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yirah, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies and through your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you have obeyed me. Then they returned to the servants and travelled back to Beersheba, where Abraham continued to live. Thank you. Excellent. Give Renee a round of applause. <laughs> Fantastic reading. Uh, so we've been going through this series. If you're with us for the first time today, we've been looking at seven different uh, tests or challenges that occur as we journey in our relationship uh, with God. And this slide has gradually been squashed more and more and more over the weeks as we've uh, put the seven uh, tests there. But essentially these tests, and if you missed any of them, I really encourage you to go back and have a listen, because these tests that Abraham experienced in following God are the same tests that anyone will experience in following Jesus, who is God. We need to detach from things. And this, this first test is often the test that happens when you first meet Jesus, 
Or if someone wants to become a Christian, they really have to consider detaching from their current life in order to follow Jesus in a new life. There's the belief test, uh, so putting our trust in God fully. The wall test, which is such a critical test where a lot of people lose their faith with the inability to pass through the wall. So the wall is a big challenge to our faith where we question everything, we doubt everything, uh, we wonder if God is real, we wonder if our prayers work, we wonder if going to church has any point. And lots of people lose their faith or lose their connection uh, with the church, the body of Christ during the wall test. It's a huge one. The honor test, um, so having no strings attached with our relationship with God. The fulfillment test is about our great challenge uh, in how God fulfills his promises. And we heard a great testimony from Sarah today. Well done, just brilliant. God fulfills his promises often in a way that's unexpected. The separation test we spoke about last week, that's really about friends, family, people that are in our life. And at times, faith will ask us and our faith journey will require us to separate from people in different ways. Not to turn against them or to reject them or to get rid of them, but just to separate in order to continue following God. And finally today, the obedience test. And the obedience test is the climax of the faith journey. It's the climax of Abraham's entire life. It all comes down to this. It all comes down to this. Is Abraham willing to put what is most valuable to him on the altar and sacrifice it to the Lord? That's the great question. The great question for anybody who follows Jesus is this. Are you willing to sacrifice what is most important for you or to you in order to follow Jesus. There's something today that for you is so valuable that it could poison, contaminate your relationship with God. Might be a feeling, might be some bitterness from the past, might be a personal relationship, might be a theological point. Maybe something about this church and how we do church that you're stumbling over at the moment. It might be some promise you felt God should fulfill. It may be your own child. It may be a grandchild. It may be your job. It may be your title, your position. There's all kinds of things, but there's something valuable to you right now. And this is what the obedience test comes down to. Are you willing to put that aside in order to love God in that way. We're just going to watch a quick video this morning. This gives us a little bit of an overview of how God tests us and why God tests us and how this is part of God's story throughout the whole Bible and why we've been talking about this over the last few weeks. The story of the Bible begins with God creating a beautiful world and then sharing it with all of his creatures. And he appoints Adam and Eve to rule it on his behalf. And God gives them access to his wisdom and life, but then tells them that there's one tree they can't eat from because it will lead to death. So they have a choice about how to rule with God. This kind of feels like a test. Well, that's because it is a test. But isn't that kind of cruel for God to test them? Well, not all tests are bad. Let's say there's a king who chooses you to fulfill a royal task because he wants to know if you are trustworthy. Well, I guess that's a test, but really it's an opportunity to do something important and noble. Right, but then let's say there's a rebel who hates the king and you, and he tries to convince you that you would be better off not doing what the king asks. Well, the rebel is setting a trap. Right, so a test could be an opportunity or a trap. 
And the difference is whether the one testing you has your best interests in mind. I see. And both types of tests appear in the beginning of the Bible. God tells them to eat of the tree of life and not the forbidden tree. Yeah, this is God's test of loyalty. God wants to rule the world with humans as his partners, which means they will need to trust his wisdom over their own. But then a rebel comes and tests them to eat of that other tree. Right, the rebel seizes this opportunity and twists it so he can lead the humans into exile and ultimately death. He turns the test into a trap. But after the humans fail, God promises that one day a human will come who will pass the test and defeat the snake. And as the story moves on, God gives a couple named Abraham and Sarah an opportunity to trust him by leaving their family behind to go to a new land where God will use them to restore his blessing to all people. So this is a test. And at first things go well. But Abraham quickly fails. He lies to protect himself, and then he and Sarah scheme to get a son their own way by abusing one of their servants. Definitely not passing the test. But God doesn't give up on Abraham. He gives him one final opportunity, a test to prove his loyalty. God asks Abraham to go up onto a hill and offer his son as a sacrifice. I can't imagine a more intense test. And Abraham does it. But in the last moment, God stops him and provides a substitute animal in the place of his son. God then says he will fulfill his promise through Abraham's family because he passed this test. So Abraham passed this test, but he hasn't proven to be a fully trustworthy partner. We're still waiting for someone who can pass the ultimate test. Yeah, and as the family of Abraham grows and becomes a nation, God continues to test them. Fantastic. There's actually a bit more to that video, and we'll put that in the uh, newsletter this week uh, if you want to have a little bit of a, a deeper look at that. So James, uh, the brother of Jesus, writing to Jewish people all over the world in the New Testament, says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for your, when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete and need nothing. Everyone say perfect. Everyone say complete. Would you like to be perfect and complete? Well, that's what we're aiming at, to just be like Jesus. See, the testing that comes in our life, the many tests that come in our life, are an opportunity to grow. When we talk about the obedience test today, we are in no way talking about, about you should do X. God expects you to be better. God expects you to be stronger than you are. This is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news of the grace of God, the love of God, the grace of God that draws us with his loving kindness. So I don't want you to interpret this wrongly because this it can be, especially if you've been in church for a long time, we tend to drift towards religion that says, obedience, okay, I just gotta put my feelings aside, I gotta tie up my shoelaces and climb Mount Everest. That's what God wants for me, to perform high, harder, to perform higher, to jump higher. That is not the message of the Bible and that's not what I want you to interpret here. And I think the video does a great job of helping us understand that a test is an opportunity 
test is an opportunity to overcome the devil, the evil one who seeks to destroy us. A test is an opportunity to actually grow. You know, the only reason that people come to church, the only reason that people are in a small group, the only people that reason people come and see me as a pastor for counseling is because ultimately they want to grow spiritually. You know, if you're here because my preaching's entertaining, then you're not going to last very long. <laughs> if you're here because you like the music, then you're not going to last very long. But if you want to follow Jesus and you want to grow and you want your faith to turn into faithfulness, as we see in the scripture here in James, that as you trust God, what actually happens is your faith grows and you move from just having a faith in God to being a faithful follower of God. You see, God is ultimately faithful. He cannot lie. He cannot let you down. He does not put you through tests to hurt you or to show that he is some authority that can, 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 can oppress you with tests. No, 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 no. God loves you like a good father, but he tests you so that you can grow. We expect this in every area of life, don't we? We expect our children to do exams at school. We expect when we go for a job to go through an interview which is a test in order to get the job. We, ex we expect to be pushed in a relationship, don't we? No one wants to marry a girl that's, that's easy. Wants, everyone wants to marry a girl that's a challenge. No man wants to sweep a woman off her feet in one day. They want to climb the mountain of winning that woman's heart and, and, and proving themselves as a, a man worthy to be married and to be a great father. Like we expect that in romantic relationships. No one expects to get things easy in life. You've got to study. You've got to learn. You've got to grow skills. You've got to learn to talk. You've got to learn to build friendships. We expect to be tested in order to be proven. And it's the same with God. He doesn't want us to have an easy road. He wants us to have a road that leads to great faith, great endurance to come to a place of perfection and completeness. You know, Zoe always reminds me of this prayer that Mother Teresa prayed. And she wouldn't pray for things, she wouldn't pray for titles, she wouldn't pray for opportunity, she would always pray for faithfulness. God, make me faithful. Eugene Peterson, has, the writer, the author of the Message Bible, uh, has a book called um, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's a Nietzschean line, Frederick Nietzsche said that line and he turned it into a book and that's the Christian life. It's a long obedience in one direction. That's the Christian life. Immaturity in our faith sends us zigzagging in all different directions, but maturity in our faith and growing and trusting God is a long obedience in the same direction. So let's look at Abraham's obedience test today. So verse 1 of chapter 22, this is our last test that we're going through. After this, Sarah dies uh, in chapter 23, and he buys a cave for her from the Hittites and buries her, and that's her tomb. And then in the next chapter, Abraham dies, and he gets buried in the same tomb, and, and the whole story comes to a close. This is the final test. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. So if you had any doubts in what we've been talking about through this series or today, there it is. God tests Abraham's faith God is going to test your faith because he wants you to grow. He wants you to mature. He wants you to build trust in him more than in anything else. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied. Here I am. Take your son, your only son. Yes, just to clarify. Yes, Isaac. 
that son whom you love so much and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will show you. And the mountain comes to be called Mount Moriah, doesn't it? And that's actually a thousand years later where David builds the temple of the Lord on Mount Moriah. The obedience test is a great challenge. Many of us, when we hear the word obedience, you know, react, recoil. No one's kind of running to obey, are they? Have you ever raised children? Do they run at you? Yes, Papa. Yes, Mama. What would you like me to do? Oh, okay. Clean my room. Yes, no problems. Now think of God and all of humanity through that lens. You know, here we are running here, running there, buying stuff, trying to fulfill our needs, hating people, loving people, doing all this stuff. And God is just trying to help us make our bed. Just trying to teach us, like, it's okay, I'm here for you, I'm just, just trust me, obey me. You know, we don't like to listen. We don't like to be, be told what to do, do we? But here's Abraham here. Here's Abraham, God speaks to him and his immediate reaction is to obey. And God doesn't just say anything to him, he's saying, I want you, it's a command, it's an instruction, I want you to take your son and sacrifice him. How does Abraham just immediately obey and leave and go to sacrifice his son. The only way that he can do this is that he's lived a life of passing the test. He's done the journey now. Do you you remember how many years we're on here? Okay, remember 75 he got called, Genesis 12, right? And then he has Hagar and, and, and Ishmael has a baby 11 years later. And then God makes him, makes him wait for a, a bunch more years, and it's eventually 25 years when he's 100 years old. He has his son, Isaac. And now Isaac is maybe 10, 12 years old. So he's into his second century here, Abraham. So he's been doing a lot of faith journeying for a lot of time. So I don't want you to sit there today and feel like, oh my goodness, I'm struggling here, or oh, I'm, I don't know if I could do that. Because this takes... A lot to get to this place in your walk with God. This is the pinnacle of the faith journey that, you, that God eventually, in your maturity, in your journey, in your trusting, in your growing over time, eventually you come to a place where God can say, sacrifice your only son. And because you are so full of trust in God and you know that God is faithful, you can turn around and say, yes and amen, I'll sacrifice my son. It's the summit of the faith journey. The obedience test instructs us to sacrifice what is most valuable. Do you remember the Lord of the Rings and the character Gollum, the horrible character Gollum, who can't let go, who's, who talks about the ring, he's precious? Does your faith allow you to let go of what is most valuable? You see, when we come to the obedience test, God asks us to put what's most special to us. And that would be different for everyone. Maybe it's your title. Maybe it's your wage that comes into your bank account every week. Maybe it's your position as mom or dad in the family. I don't know. If you can't let go of what is most valuable, it will destroy you. That's the gospel according to J.R. Tolkien, okay? If you can't let go of what's most precious, it will destroy you. We know this to be true. God knows this to be true. And in his loving kindness, he brings us to a place of of faith in him that even what is most special, what is most precious, we can let go. 
Does your faith allow you to sacrifice what is most special? So God says to Abraham, sacrifice your son. He takes his son, he takes his servants, he journeys about three days, and then he says to his servants, wait, wait behind. You guys wait behind. He says to Isaac, I'm going to take you and we're going to walk up Mount Moriah here. Ironically, he picks up the wood and he puts it on his son's shoulders. His son is to be the sacrifice here. Carry the wood that we're going to sacrifice and burn you with. He puts it on his son's shoulders. And Abraham has the, the knife and he has the fire and they take off up the mountain. Now, Isaac's not silly. He says to him, Dad, where's the sheep? Where's the animal we're going to sacrifice? You see, sac sacrifice was a normal part of the ancient Near East in this time. It wasn't just Abraham's sacrifice. It was all the peoples of the ancient Near East practice animal sacrifice in order to worship the gods. So it was common. It was common to be done. Everyone knew about it. It was part of the culture of the people that lived in the ancient Near East. So even Isaac knows, well, where's the sheep? What's going on? Abraham says, God will provide, son. It's okay. God will provide. He's trusting God that there's some outcome that he can't see. There's my son. There's the wood. There's a the fire. There's a the knife. There's me. There's the mountain. There's pretty hard to see how there's going to be another outcome here. Like it's looking pretty dire for Isaac at this point. But Abraham is so full of faith in God that he knows surely even if God has to raise Isaac from the dead, God could raise Isaac from the dead if he had to. And they journey up the mountain. Eventually they're at the top. Abraham lays out the rocks for the altar, probably builds a small altar in order to burn the fire to make the sacrifice. As you know, anyone who's a good camper, you can't just burn wood straight on the ground or you're going to set on a bushfire alight, so he puts out the rocks, and there's his son, Isaac, helping him build the altar that he would eventually be sacrificed on. They place the wood on top of the stones on the altar that Isaac had been covering, and then Abraham somehow takes his son and ties him to the altar. I've often thought about this story. I'm sure you have as well. What was Isaac thinking? What was Isaac doing? I mean, I can't even put my five-year-old boy's clothes on him without him punching me and kicking me and running out of the room. I mean, how did Abraham put his son on the altar? I mean, Abraham, I mean Isaac's going to know at this point, I'm the sacrifice. Oh, my goodness. Father, what are you doing? Was there a struggle? Was there a fight? Was there an argument? I mean, if there was ever your son was going to have a tantrum, this would be the time to have a tantrum. Don't sacrifice me, please, Dad. But maybe Isaac saw the faithfulness and the faith of his father and the faith of his father transferred to the next generation. What a challenge this is for us as parents, as leaders, as grandparents. Do we have such faith in us that even our children would trust our trust in God, that our children would put faith in our faith journey because we faithfully follow God? Obviously, Isaac had enough trust in his father and enough trust in the God of his father to allow him to just put him on the altar, to tie him down to the altar. And Abraham lifts up his dagger. Okay, this is the obedience test. Even if I kill my own son and sacrifice him, if God wanted to, he could bring him back to life. He could resurrect him from the dead. His faith is in God. This side of life, that side of life, I still trust God. And just as he goes to plunge the knife, 
God calls out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, stop, stop. It's okay, it's okay. I see your faithfulness, you've passed the test. You've put what's most important to you. Not only what's most important, but the fulfillment of the whole promise that you waited for 25 years for this son. I mean, this is the answer to the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore and the great nation that was going to come. Isaac's the answer. He is the golden child. He is the chosen one. He's not Ishmael. It's Isaac, the biological son on the altar. And you're willing to give that up for me. And all of a sudden, Abraham looks to the side and there's a ram. There's an animal, a substitute animal that could take the place of Isaac and be sacrificed instead of his one and only son. Going back to James again, the brother of Jesus writing his one little book that he writes in the New Testament, James 2.21, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? This 2,000 years later, James is reflecting on his ancestor, Abraham. You see that his faith and his actions were working together, faith and actions, and his faith was made complete by what he did. Verse 24, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, not just by faith alone. And this is why this is the pinnacle of the faith journey, because faith can sometimes be something that's hidden, something that's in our heart, something that's invisible, something that's behind the scenes. But the pinnacle of the faith journey is this outward outworking of obedience in real action. In real action. And this is the power of Christianity and following Jesus. It's never just left in the clouds. It's never just faith in your heart. It's never just what you do in your private prayer time. Following Jesus and journeying in faith always eventually outworks in fruit. There's roots and there's fruit. Jesus spoke many times about fruit. You will know them by their fruit. As a pastor, I don't take much into consideration when people tell me about their fantastic prayer lives and their incredible revelations and all these things. Fantastic, great, fantastic. The fruit. Where's the fruit of loving your neighbor? Where's the fruit of laying down your life for someone else? Where's the fruit of humility? These are the things that God looks at. These are the things as a pastor that I hope I can help somebody produce fruit, real action because of your faith. Real people are affected because you have a great prayer life. The church is here, our, our family, our church here is built up by you because you have a great faith in God and that outworks in love for others and service of others and meals that you share and getting in a small group and all these different things that actually are real action that we can see from the outside as a result of faith. Not a result of performance or I should or of being coerced. That's the last thing that you want as a pastor. I don't want anyone doing anything because of a lack of freedom because they should because that wouldn't be representing God well. No, I want, just like God, as a pastor, you hope that people added the faith in God in their hearts. They stand up on a worship band or they go out. I'm always amazed. Every Sunday, and some of you won't be aware of this because you don't have little kids, but every Sunday, people go out there from 10 a.m. to 11.30 to look after your children. Isn't that incredible? They don't get to sit in church. They listen to the podcast during the week. 
Lots of people don't. Lots of people are happy to put their kids out there. There's no problem there. <laughs> but the ones that go behind the scenes, and because they love, they don't do it for me. They don't even really do it for you first and foremost. They do it because they love God. And they know I'm happy to look after a three-year-old or a seven-year-old and teach him a bit of the Bible because that is where God is going to change little hearts and little minds. And I'm happy to be involved in that investment. You can only do that if you love God. You can only do that because of faith, outworking, in action. There's no glory looking after kids out there. There's no glory in doing hidden things, but there's fruit. There's fruit. There's real fruit. Real people have a real relationship with God producing amazing fruit. And for all you cynical people, that is not some plug to get people on the roster. That's just the reality. Uh, as a, My heart as a pastor, it just is overwhelmed with joy when I see people working behind the scenes because I know they love God and they're just doing it out of that place. Let's go back to the story. So verse 15, then the angel of the Lord calls to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and have not withheld your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. This is the level of relationship with God now. That God himself comes down so impressed by our obedience, our willingness to put what's most precious on the altar, God himself will swear by his own name that I will never let you down. I will bless you. I will look after you. I will take care of you. I am there for you. He's always been there. But now Abraham, now us, you get it at a whole different level. When you've been willing to sacrifice what's most valuable to you, for some people, that's really practical. It's, I don't work on a Sunday morning because I come to church. Maybe that's what's valuable to you. For someone else, it's like, well, that's stupid. But for some people, that's important. You know, for my wife, what did I sacrifice for my wife before I married her? I sacrificed sex before marriage. I sacrificed chasing other women. I sacrificed my, my pride. I was patient. I waited for her. I did a relationship with her before we got married that included other people and mentors. I did all of these things. I put lots of things on the altar because I trusted God and I wanted to have a great marriage. And I believe that Zoe was worth it, worth it for me to sacrifice, wanting physical things and wanting emotional things. I let those things come later in order to put her first. But I couldn't have done that on my own. I needed God in my heart. I needed mentors to help me. You know, if you've become a parent, you sacrifice so much as a parent. You kind of get forced into obedience, don't you? Oh, you have this beautiful child. It's all fantastic for about 24 hours. And then the pain begins. And it's 20 years of just putting yourself second time and time again. You sacrifice freedom and flexibility. And you sacrifice your body, especially if you're a woman having many babies. And you sacrifice your time and you sacrifice your money. But you don't look at it as a sacrifice because you're a good parent. This is the same with God. He wants us to reach a place in our faith journey where we're not sacrificing for him anymore. Can you believe that? That you could follow Jesus and it's not a sacrifice anymore. If you're still thinking getting up on a Sunday morning is a good, good effort and God's like, oh, awesome, you got out of bed and went to church. Gosh, we need to grow up, everyone, don't we? We need to really grow up in our faith. These aren't sacrifices. I love you. I adore you, Jesus. Where would I rather? There's no place I'd rather be than in the house of the Lord, 
with the people of God. This is the voice of the faithful one who's got that relationship with God. I will certainly bless you, verse 17. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies and through you, your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you obeyed me. So God reiterates the promise that we've heard many, many times. It's been in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. It's somewhere in Genesis 21, I think. And now again in 22. Five times God has reiterated this promise about about sons and daughters and a great nation because of his great sacrifice and willingness to sacrifice his son. You see, Abraham sacrificed or was willing to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Just like God was willing to sacrifice his only son, Jesus. Do you see here we get a shadow of what is to come? 2,000 years later after Abraham, Jesus would come, not as a sheep or a lamb, but like a lamb. Not as an Old Testament sacrifice, like all the people of the ancient Near East that were sacrificed to their gods, all of a sudden God himself would come as the final sacrifice. There would be no more sacrifices once Jesus died on the cross. See, following God is not doing for God. Following God is following what God has done himself. God requires nothing of you that he was not willing to give himself. He gave his one and only son. Yes, his only son, Jesus. He put it on the altar, what was precious to him. And unlike Abraham, His one and only son, Jesus, was sacrificed. Jesus wasn't Isaac so much as Jesus was the ram in the thickets that Abraham saw and substituted in for his son, Isaac. You see, where you deserve death, where you deserve the full consequences of your sin, where you deserve to be all bitter and twisted and die in your bitterness and twistedness, Jesus came and he took on bitterness for you. We deserve to have the, you know, the full consequences of your naivety or your lack of intelligence or your lack of life experience and to suffer the full consequences of that Jesus substituted in to protect you from yourself, to protect you and give you a hope and a purpose. See, where all the horrible things that happened in your childhood or have happened in your marriages or relationships or in your workplace with your friendships, all the times you were a victim, all the injustices that people have done wrong to you, all the times you've been misunderstood, Jesus is the lamb that was substituted in your place. He was misunderstood so that you don't have to live in your misunderstandings. He became the victim, the ultimate victim, so that you don't have to live as a victim. He became poor. So you don't have to be poor. He became despised and hated. So if people hate you or don't understand you or don't like you, it's fine. You can live at peace because God has already done it for you. The big question for us as in the pinnacle of our faith journey becomes, just like God and Abraham sacrificed, what are you willing to sacrifice? What is God asking you to sacrifice? That's the blank. We sacrifice what is most valuable comma, blank, fill in the space right here. This is what I want you to pray about this week. I want you to read over this scripture. I want you to pray about this. What's that blank for you? 
You know, there's many everyday sacrifices that God asks us to give up. And in a moment, I just want to sing a song again, and I want to just let God speak in your heart around these three different small obedience tests that you are going to fight against every day. There's the big one. Can we go back a slide? There's the big one. There's putting something on the altar. Maybe it's your need to be right. Maybe your finances, your money is just too important to you. Every day is about money and buying and where's it coming from and how can I make more? I don't know. Whatever it is for you, God's going to talk to you in a minute and clarify that. Some of you are going to be like, bang, I just know what that is. (laughs) Maybe it's something from the past. You just got to let go. And maybe it's one of these three things because when we don't obey in the day-to-day, it becomes very hard to obey God in the big things. When we don't pass the tests of every day, the test of comfort, the test of approval, the test of power, these little tests, there's many, many little tests. It's very difficult to obey God when he puts something big. Abraham could not have walked up Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son if there would not been a whole string of smaller tests, daily tests, weekly tests in following Jesus. Remember when I say tests, remember when I say obedience, I'm not talking about you should do for God. That's not the message of the gospel. I'm talking about the grace of God, which is here's an opportunity to grow. Here's a test that can take you further where you want to go to be a mature Christian. You see, Jesus was led into the wilderness, if you remember. I'm not going to spend too much time on this, so apologies if you haven't heard this story before. But Jesus was led into the wilderness before he did anything, before he became anything, when he was still just a carpenter. He was still just the average Joe from Nazareth. He was a Galilean that looked like all the other Galileans. But then he gets led into the desert and we begin to see his divinity, that he's not just a carpenter. He's not just a Nazarene. He's not just a Galilean. Man, this is the son of God. For 40 days and 40 nights, he eats nothing. And he's tested in three different areas. The first test is the devil that we saw in the video at the start there. Just like Jesus was tested we are tested. Just as we are tested, Jesus has already been tested before us. And he's tempted. The devil says to him, 40 days and 40 nights you haven't eaten, turn this stone into bread. This is a daily challenge for us, the comfort test. Just have some pleasure. Have something that feels good. Watch a bit of porn. Have a, have, have a few too many drinks. Just, just, Gossip about that person. I mean, you people gossip about you. Just say a whole bunch of stuff. Pursue pleasure. Do what feels good. Stay up all night and play video games. Sit on the couch and watch Netflix for hours and hours. You deserve to feel good. Will you sacrifice what's comfortable, what's pleasurable for Jesus? That's the daily challenge. The next test or the next temptation is Jesus is taken to the top of the temple. And he's on top of the temple, the huge temple, right up at three, four stories in the sky. And the devil says, throw yourself off. Just throw yourself off. If you're the son of God, if you're really who you say you are, angels will catch you. God will look after you. It's fine. This is the approval test. And Jesus doesn't jump off. He says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. God can test me and tempt me, but I'm not going to test God. I'm not going to make God do miracles because of you, devil. I am the son of God, and my approval is in my identity in Christ. I don't need to jump off no temple to prove who I am. This test comes to us every day. 
Every, lots of things are offered to us to, that we can draw our approval from. We draw it from money, we draw it from our relationships. Many of us draw it from our children and that's something that we need to work through. We draw it from who we are, we draw it from our, our height, our muscles, I don't know. We draw it from our intelligence because I know more than everyone else. There's all kinds of things offered to us to be who you are, draw your approval, suck your identity from there. But our answer should be the same as Jesus. And that's what God offers us. Just be a son, a daughter of God most high. That's all you need. Everything else pales in comparison to that identity. If you're approved by God, things can't latch onto you. Hurts, pains, challenges, they, they, they come off you like water off a duck's back. But that's a test. It's a challenge. And finally, the power test. The devil takes Jesus onto a high mountain and shows him the kingdoms of the world. Do you want power? Do you want position? Do you want title? Do you want an influence? You know, don't think of prime ministers and kings here, because that's what, not what I mean by power. I mean control. You all have control. You can all use control in a way that's unhealthy. You all have influence, even if it's just as a mum and dad, even if it's just as an employee. You all have influence at some level. You have influence over your own schedule, your own diet your own prayer life. You have power over something. So don't excuse yourself as, oh, well, I'm not important and I'm not up there and I don't run an organization. That's not what I mean. I'm talking about control. Jesus could have controlled the situation and shortcut his way to his destiny. His destiny was to rule the kingdoms of the earth. The enemy offered him his destiny, but a shortcut. Just like Adam and Eve at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can be wise. You can be like God. God had already offered them to be like him. The devil just offered them a shortcut to eat from the fruit. But Jesus doesn't take it. He sacrifices his control of the situation. He sacrifices knowing everything. He sacrifices controlling the outcome. Isn't this a great challenge for us? Every day I'm challenged by this. Caleb, don't control the outcome. You don't have to control the outcome of your children, your work, your friendships, your life. Let go of control. Let go of managing everyone and everything around you to work for your favor. Hand it over to me. Sacrifice control for Jesus. Don't take the shortcut. 